0: The podcast you are about to hear is about raising kids, but there are curse words here and talk of grown-up things, so make with the headphones. Welcome to Tantrum. Kate, here's a good parenting moment of glory from a listener. Okay, read it. My parental moment of glory is when I let my then three-year-old daughter wear the same tank top skirt combo for 10 days in a row after her dad and I got divorced. Hell yes. Tantrum is a podcast for grown ups about raising kids. I'm Allison, and I'm Kay. <coughs> <laughs> and I'm Gollum.
1: <laughs> Today, Rebecca Kay tells a story about what it's like to be the only woman in a house full of male nerds. I've developed
2: this deep hatred of Star Wars because my fucking family can't get through a fucking meal without talking about the fucking Death Star. <laughs>
0: Oh, a house full of dudes. Kate, that's what things are looking like for you too, right?
1: I mean, like, probably. Um, And lately, Bird, he's he's 18 months old. He's developed this total fixation, actually, on my husband. Like, everything is dad time. Mm. Like, it's always, he'll walk around the house being like, Daddy, Daddy, Daddy. And he actually doesn't say mama yet at all. He just, like, points to me. So, like, we'll be looking at a photo album, and he'll be like, daddy and I'll be like okay hey, who's that you know pointing at a picture of me and he'll just he'll be like duh, duh. but it's actually okay um because I think it's actually very sweet
0: wait does he have other words or does daddy his main word no, no he says like a few other things I, I, I think
1: here's how I think of it and I, I, I it's sort of like for the first 12 months or so like he and I you know whatever I was I was breastfeeding, so he and I were just so close and just connected. We're, like, one unit, Mm -hmm. and now this is part of sort of his individuation, like, and he's seeing the other things in the world, but maybe he still kind of sees me as just so automatic that I don't even have a name.
0: Maybe. Do you talk about yourself in third person a lot? No. That's good, because I am ready to stop, and I'm having trouble.
1: So you're like, mommy needs alone time. Yeah,
0: mommy's going to the bathroom hold on, mommy needs a minute. She can't do two things at once. Right. And so it's kind of, I hear myself now and I'm like, oh, God, let's not, I can be I. She she can get that. But I wonder if um, he does just sort of consider you one and the same as his own being. I mean, that could be really egotistical for me to say. It sounds that way
1: now that I'm listening to myself talk, um, which is terrible. <laughs> but uh yeah, I don't know. It, it doesn't really bother me that much because I know that he and I are really close. I mean, I don't, I don't feel like there's a problem. Let's hear a parental moment of glory or two from July's live show. This is so exciting, having not seen these and simultaneously terrifying. <laughs> this person writes, My name is Nathan. My nine-year-old stepdaughter punched me in the mouth on my wedding day in front of all my groomsmen. Thank you, Nathan. I'm sorry. This parenting moment of glory is from John. He writes, My parenting moment of glory is, The good news was that the baby didn't have a fever. The bad news was that as soon as I turned my back, he grabbed the thermometer and stuck the business end in his mouth. (laughs) Did you tell me he did this? You're telling me now.
0: Okay. All right. This was not an oral thermometer. Okay, that last parental moment of glory came from your husband, right? It did. And you had no idea that this thermometer incident happened? I had no idea. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. Oh, my goodness. Are you going to have to talk about, like, what else might have happened? You know, are you afraid that he's been injured and your husband doesn't tell you?
1: We're just going to move forward.
0: I try not to ask
1: while I'm gone, like, what did you feed him for lunch? You know, how long? Because really? No, I don't. Because I want to make sure that, like,
0: John knows that. You trust him. That
1: I trust him
0: completely and that he's just a partner in this. Like, he is just as much a parent as I am. But don't you want to know what he had for lunch sometimes so you can, like, not also give him eggs for dinner? Yeah. I'll, I'll check in that sense.
1: But I won't, like, do it like I'm checking in on, you know, I'm checking in with him to make sure that he yeah. did the, the right thing. Like, did you feed him six ounces of milk? Like, I, I don't do that. Yeah. That's nice. I try hard not to.
0: I, I don't know. I think I might do that sometimes. I might do that sometimes, too. <laughs>
1: Well, if you would like to join us uh, with your parenting faux pas or true moments of glory, call 678-379-3748. Tell us all about it. Meantime, let's hear our featured story
0: of Parenting Adventure. This story comes from our July show at Carvana and reader Rebecca Kaye.
1: Rebecca is an education policy wonk and public servant by day, and a frustrated creative by night. She's passionate about public education, equity, living ITP, the interconnectedness of the universe, and the transformative powers of bacon, diversity, stories, and women in music. She lives in Grant Park with her husband and their two future Maynard Jackson High School Jaguars. Please welcome Rebecca Kaye.
2: Thank you for that much taller than me, my goodness. <laughs> so, on a shelf in my living room sits my favorite photograph in the world. Um, I actually brought it here with me if anybody wants to see. Um, it was taken in 1957 and it shows the five generations of mothers who made me. My mother is a tiny baby, and my 17 year old grandmother holds her proudly completely gorgeous and put together. Uh, The older moms range from my plump great-grandmother Viola, a woman who literally gave the shirt off her back once to help a friend, and to her grandmother, my great-great-great-grandmother who strongly resembles the female half of American Gothic. (laughs) This picture radiates for me warmth and strength and love. And my heart's desire as a teenager was to be nothing like them. Uh, Their lives of marriage at 16 or 18 and children soon after was my worst nightmare. I was going to do something important, which meant that snot-nosed rugrats were not in the equation. And then I became the only person in the whole world who decided that I wanted to have kids as a result of teaching middle school. (laughs) I remember the day it happened like it was yesterday. I was halfway through my first year teaching in Oakland City, which was the only neighborhood in Atlanta where you could buy heroin back then. (laughs) It was the first time that I had ever felt bad at something that I desperately wanted to be good at, and there was one person who made me feel particularly bad at it. His name was Joshua, and he was 12 years old. Joshua was a menace, and in the worst possible way. He wasn't the struggling kid who knew that it's cooler to be bad than to be dumb. He could be brilliant and charming and funny. And that afternoon, he, for the umpteenth time, was terrorizing other kids in my class. I wrote him up. He got suspended from school. Again, Joshua's mother was outraged, and the principal called a meeting after school. Joshua's mom accused us of labeling him even after a student showed her the red marks that were still on her neck from where he had snapped her with a rubber band. The principal unsuspended him. That was the only time I ever cried at school. I was angry, of course, but I was feeling something deeper. Staring at the puke green cinder block walls of the bathroom in the nurse's office. I realized that I had to be a mom, A mom who would love my kids fiercely enough to let them experience that life is tough, and we make mistakes sometimes, and we have to learn from the consequences. I knew at that moment that I had a responsibility to make the kind of people the world needs. Later that year, Joshua was sent to alternative school for stabbing another student with a pencil in the cafeteria. Eight years later, when I finally got knocked up, parenting started off with a lot of validation for me. I am that jackass you hate who adored being pregnant. (laughs) It was the first time in my life that I absolutely and completely loved my body. I joked since adolescence that I came from breeding stock and it turns out it was true. I gained very little weight, 17 pounds the first time and nine the second. Though I do still have that skin bag that bears a striking resemblance to George Clooney's cleft chin. (laughs) um, Where my kind of comfortable lady pooch used to be. Of course, the last month or so sucked, as it must, in order to torture us psychologically with achy hips and terrible sleep. To the point where the benefit of continuing to keep them in, where they're quiet and easy to carry around, Is outweighed by the cost of pushing them out and never sleeping more than three consecutive hours again. Evolution is really brilliant that way. It makes babies completely delectably adorable and it also makes you forget how much it sucks after 15 hours of unmedicated back labor, trying to push out a baby face up To have some sadistic doctor, whose name you still don't know, tell the nurse to cut your hoo-ha open because a little epi and that baby will pop right out. Okay, so maybe I didn't forget, but some evolutionary process did a hell of a job convincing me it was a good idea to do it again. That biological imperative insanely lurks in the back of my mind, telling me that a third time would be awesome, which is probably the craziest thought I entertain on a regular basis. It's one of those ways that parenting looks nothing like the picture in the brochure. I find myself thinking and saying things that come out of places I didn't even know existed. Loving things, angry things, patient things, psychotic things, Things that I didn't remember my mother saying until I hear them coming out of my mouth. <laughs> Only other parents understand this. At work, people ask me routinely how my boys are, and I'm supposed to say that they're delightful and getting so big. And that's true less often than the times they feel like little vampires that are sucking out every ounce of physical, emotional, and spiritual energy in me. I asked a fellow three-nager mom in my office how she was recently, and to my great relief, she said, okay, but my three-year-old is a total asshole right now. (laughs) ditto. My favorite parenting article begins, quote, a study published Monday in the Journal of Child Psychology and Psychiatry has concluded that an estimated 98% of children under the age of 10 are remorseless sociopaths with little regard for anything other than their own egocentric interests and pleasures. The Onion has such an amazing way of cutting to the heart of human experience. I find that with three-year-olds, the best course of action is to embrace my own inner sociopath. Oscar says things like, No, I won't brush my teeth because Mama's stupid! Elliot, who is seven, used to tell me, I hate you at three. At first, it took me by surprise, but I realized, he's three. He's a completely separate human being from me. Why do I care what that little jerk thinks? So I started saying things like, Gee, I'm sorry you feel that way. Do you want to brush your top teeth first or your bottom teeth? Parenting has been really great for strengthening my emotional armor. And sometimes I just have to trust that the universe knows what it's doing because getting my money back is not an option. The moment we found out that our second and most likely last child was another boy was probably the most existentially painful moment of my life. While I think that the universe very wisely knows that women's studies majors are the very best people to raise awesome men, I still have PTSD about it that wakes up every time someone posts something about Girl Scouts on Facebook. I've developed this deep hatred of Star Wars because my fucking family can't get through a fucking meal without talking about the fucking Death Star. (laughs) I, of course, would not trade my thoughtful, silly, loving little boys for anything in the whole world. Including a million girls, or one well-behaved, emotionally stable one who potty trained at 18 months. (laughs) They've given me new eyes to see the world as the absolutely miraculous and wonderful place that it is. I do all kinds of things I never dreamed of, like cleaning human feces off the couch. Or saying, dude, stop licking my pants. (laughs) No, seriously, stop licking my pants. (laughs) They do remind me how lucky I am that after millions of years of evolution and thousands of couplings over the generations, after my mom almost died at birth, born at 28 weeks in the late 1950s, and then after that, that the right egg and sperm came together under the right conditions to make me, only a few months after the gut-wrenching trauma my parents experienced when their first child died in utero and that I could experience the very real superpower of making new people and get lucky enough that they are these spectacular little people who I love so much that my heart could explode sometimes. It's changed me, this shift from being at the end of a chain of ancestors to being in the middle of it. When I was that young teacher, I worried about the future for other people's kids, but it was a political, not a personal fear. Now, I still worry more about other people's kids than I do about my own, because my sons remind me daily that the world is deeply unfair, and that unfairness wounds us all, and that it's way more unfair for other people, brown people, black people, poor people, than it is for our family. This parenting thing is the most powerful example I've experienced in my life, that the personal is political. There is nothing more personal And nothing more prone to making us do crazy things than choices that affect our kids. Crazy things like sending them to private school or moving to Decatur to find the kind of carefully curated diversity that makes us feel safe and not too bad about ourselves. We have been 100% committed to our awesome, mostly black, mostly low income neighborhood school from the beginning. But my son sees the effects of adult anxiety When he was five, he asked, Mama, why did most of the white kids in my pre-K class leave and go to the charter school? When he was six, he overheard this exchange at a party. I'll call the other mom Pearl Clutching Mom. Pearl Clutching Mom. I heard that during your kindergarten Black History Month program, the kids acted out scenes of Rosa Parks on the bus and the Little Rock Nine. Um... Yeah, it was, it was great, totally kid appropriate. Elliot was one of the kids outside of Little Rock Central High School. But I heard that they had a white child act out the part of demanding that Rosa Parks give up her seat on the bus. Yeah, that was Fletcher, his mom was cool with it. He was awesome. I can't believe they would act out those horrible things in kindergarten. Um, all those things happened. A lot of it happened in our city. But in kindergarten? Don't you think? I I just think that the children are too sensitive to be part of something like that. Maybe when they're older. I don't think that black kids get the luxury of being too sensitive to know about racism. She walked away. Elliot just looked at me. It's tough, but worth it. Licked pants, Star Wars, and all.
0: that's it for tantrum thanks for listening if you like what you hear and you want to hear more of it you can help yes we want to
1: create a real life parenting community that you're a part of please join us on facebook at tantrum atl tweet at us at tantrum atlanta share this podcast with all your friends but most importantly join us at the next live show that's the real point really behind tantrum the moments we create together in a room there you will be reminded that Raising kids is fun, yet hard. Raising kids is life-changing and yet brain-rotting. This isn't easy. And you're kicking ass. No, you are kicking ass.
0: Until next time, I'm Allison Harney.
1: And I'm Kate Sweeney. Thanks to Jeffrey Butzer for letting us use his song, Catherine, for our music. And thanks to Mike Johns for recording the live show at Kavarna. See ya. So like when Bird is walking around kind of learning the word, like he'll say it back to you like so he'll be like, That's the coffee shop and bar, Kavarna. And he'll be like, And it becomes like less and less distinguishable till so he's just like Had-a-b-a-b-a. <laughs> Had-a-b-a-b-a. That's all I got.